you know when you look at people and you're like, you're a mouse or you are a bird. Yes. Or you are a horse. My brother says that I'm a fish. Uh, no, no. I don't think you're a fish. Once he said it, I could I could kind of see it in a way. And it made me sad. <laughs> I think if you were to like put on a bald cap, sure. <laughs> but no, I wouldn't I wouldn't stake you out right as a fish. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Poor Unfortunate Podcast. I'm Caroline Ametti. And I'm Connor Perkins. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, fuck you yourself. turned sideways and I saw the fish. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Poor Unfortunate Podcast. I'm Caroline A. Meddy. And I'm Connor Perkins. Welcome to all of our new listeners. We love having you with us. Now's a great time to hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast. And then, you know, prep your fingers to tap five stars and leave us a little review when you get to the end if you like what you hear. And then for all of you who are returning, welcome back. It's so great to have you with us. You know, if you haven't hit follow or subscribe either, now do it. Just do it. Thank you. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> Caroline, what's new? What's what's going on? Well, since the last time we recorded, we got to go play mini golf at Pixar Putt in Battery Park City in New York City, and we had a great time. Yeah, we and did. that was all thanks to our friend Katie Oxman. So shout out to you, girl. Thank you for that. Yeah, that was just truly an incredible time. These holes were so creative. Like it it was it was just such a fun course to go to. The people, the staff there were fantastic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you do it for the uphole at the end. Like you do yeah. it for the uphole. Yes. It's, it's magic. It was magic. And it was a fairly challenging course. It wasn't for kids. No, it was it was <laughs> it was very challenging. Yeah, I did, very I challenging. did badly. <laughs> I did poorly. You did great. <laughs> no, don't pity me. But yeah, thank you so much, Katie. That was yes. just such a treat and such a Ugh. gift to go with someone who has, you know, been so supportive of the podcast. We we love you. We love you. Um, let's see. As far as Disney Parks news, um, we let's see. Uh, today, the golden statues for the 50th anniversary went up in the Magic Kingdom. They look very nice. Yeah, they look pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I like them. We I heard the song that is going to be the theme song of the new fireworks show that will be debuting uh in october that sounded good but i will miss happily ever after forever and ever the lightning lanes have appeared um mostly by disney putting tape over the word fast pass and then putting lightning lane on top of it. And it just all looks extremely lazy and cheap. And if you're paying that much to be in the park, really, the nerve. The but nerve. also, if you're paying that much to be in the park, and then you're going to be paying to use that lightning lane service, 
at least put the money that you're then making off of the lightning lanes into making the signs actually feel like they're going to be there for a while. Maybe this is a good sign. Maybe this is a sign that like, <gasps> yeah, that it's <laughs> they're, they're yes, I like the way you think. <laughs> I like the back. way you think. That's, that's where I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to be a bit more optimistic than last episode. <laughs> um, I've posted about this in our Instagram story, but the Oogie Boogie Bash is happening in Disneyland. And honestly, it looks amazing. Yeah. It looks so much more interesting than the Boo Bash in Disney World. There's some really creative and interesting villains that you can see there. The parade looks amazing. I believe they're maybe it's is it part of the boo bash, but there are some really good looking fireworks. It just seems like Disneyland is where it's at right now. Yeah. So step it up, Walt Disney World. Let's go. Yeah. In movies world, uh, Shang-Chi and the Ten yes. Rings came out this past weekend. And I haven't checked in on the numbers yet, but I know that look going into Labor Day, it was projected to break all of the Labor Day box mm-hmm. office records. And everybody has the most amazing things to say about it, too. So I'm yeah. really excited. Yeah. yeah, so I'm excited to see that. But this weekend, I did finally, finally get a chance to sit down and watch Jungle Cruise, yes. and it was so everything glad. that I wanted it to be. I loved it so much. They've also announced that now that it's hit the 100 million mark, that they are going to be doing a sequel to Jungle Cruise. Woo! I'm ecstatic for it. The screenwriter's back. Uh, I think Dwayne Johnson is still signed on to to appear in it. But my hope is, in the same way that you know Jungle Cruise really focused on the Amazon that the sequel will start looking at one of the other four rivers that Jungle Cruise mm-hmm. is inspired by because I could totally see a four series franchise coming out of it just focusing on those rivers. And you know what? I heard some people say that this is just like this was like parts of the Caribbean, you know, in the jungle. And you know what? At the end of the day, I need so movies. What? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I I enjoy movies like this. I need something like this especially during the summer. I, I I there's nothing wrong with that to me. I just had a really good time watching it. And I hope that how well it did is really encouraging to Disney to do some more attraction-based films. I already know that the plans are in place for the new Haunted Mansion movie and I just hope that this really spurs them on to like put a good amount of money into it. But there have been, I've heard dribs and drabs of news about it. So I think it's starting to gain some traction and move forward. And we want it because I'm so excited about Muppets Haunted Mansion. That, I know. Like, I was just about to make that segue. Oh, if my you gosh. Going to. The poster that came out from Muppets oh, Haunted my Mansion gosh. looks fantastic. Madam Pigoda. <sighs> Madam oh <my> Pigoda. <sighs> it looks The amount so that good. I have resting on, on this special. Just proves to me that we need more like haunted mansion content. We need more Halloween content from Disney. Just like there, I could never get enough of that. I, I want more. Yeah, I'm feeling much more optimistic than we were last episode, especially after seeing finally seeing Jungle Cruise because yeah. that was something where I had such high hopes for it. I mm-hmm. wanted it to be everything, and it hit all the marks that I wanted it to. And I'm like, okay, we've still got chances for things to, you know, not be a miss. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> because I feel like there have been so many misses for me mm-hmm. in the last like. <laughs> Oh, you know I agree. Yeah, you know I agree. Well, before we begin the episode, I do want to mention a little bit of news surrounding Poor Unfortunate Podcast, and that is that we have a website, poorunfortunatepodcast.com, that will be launching soon. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned on our social media and things like that for an announcement about that. And you know, we'll be doing like a launch of the website where it'll be, you know, a place where you can go 
listen to the podcast if you don't know how to work a podcast app, which you're probably not <laughs> hearing this unless you know that, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it'll be a place where you can go do stuff. And then in the future, we'll be home to a shop. So, <gasps> yeah, we're going to have some fun stuff coming down the line. It's Yeah. This is, bit, this is the work in progress. This is the little thing that uh, – that has been happening behind the scenes that we've been teasing. So stay tuned for it. We will let you know when it's all up and running and ready to go. Woo! And this website that we are so excited about, the Connor Beautifully Designed, just need to shout that out. Um, We'll have a contact form, a great way for you to just keep talking to us, keep interacting. And honestly, that's a great way to segue into this episode today. Um, Because actually, I think our Goodbye So Soon episode, in which you could pick one Disney film to keep from a year or a set of years, we got a lot of feedback about that, lots of really interesting opinions. And one of our listeners, Sean, shout out to Sean, talked about how much he enjoys Newsies. And it got both of us thinking that we don't really, we never really knew. I always knew the music from Newsies. I'd, I'd seen the movie, but we never really deep dove yeah. into Newsies. And I remembered that the film is on Disney Plus, but so is the filmed stage production, which led us to thinking all right, we're going to do a showdown this episode between Newsies, the film from 1992, and Newsies, the Broadway musical, which was filmed live in 2016. Yeah, I never saw Newsies when I was a a kid. This was actually the first time I've ever watched anything Newsies. (gasps) So that's so exciting. Didn't see the show. This was a brand new one for Connor, which kind of feels sacrilegious given how I No, but that's so fun though. Throw my clout about as like, oh, I'm a Disney expert, just shy of an expert. (laughs) No, no, no. You still it still counts. Newsies. Um, I sang a medley of the music in choir in high school. Um, so that was one of the main ins for me. And then honestly, like, if you're a musical theater person, maybe at one point or another, you've sung um, Watch What Happens in your voice lessons, me being one of those people. Um, so that was kind of my way in, too. I had never really known about that song that Catherine sings, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's take it back. So as you know, the showdown is where we take two similar things and pit them against one another to see which one comes out on top. So obviously there are going to be spoilers ahead. So if you have not seen Newsies in either of its form, much like myself, now is a great time to turn on Disney Plus, watch both of those movies, and then we will pause and wait for you to come back. And welcome back. Okay, so I did some background information about Newsies the film. Caroline did background information about Newsies the Broadway musical. I feel like let's just go in chronological order so I can Mm -hmm. talk about the film first and then we can talk about the Broadway musical and then we'll get into some strengths and weaknesses through, you know, a couple different lenses. Let's Um, do it. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Mm -hmm. So Newsies was released on April 10th, 1992. It was produced by Michael Fennell, who was the producer for Gremlins, The Burbs, Small Soldiers. Do you remember Small Soldiers? Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, I haven't thought about that. Whoa. Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Yeah, Right? It was directed by Kenny Ortega, who was also one of the choreographers. Kenny Ortega did Hocus Pocus, High School Musical, The Descendants. He choreographed Dirty Dancing. Like, this man knows what he's doing. The screenplay is by Bob Sudiker and Noni White, who are married. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, they're married. Mm-hmm. And they work together on The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Anastasia, Oof. and yes. Tarzan. Um, yes. 
Newsies is based on the real events of the 1899 Newsies strike. However, the contents of the film are largely fictional. (laughs) The songs are by Alan Menken, lyrics by Jack Feldman. If you don't know who Alan Menken is, you can stop the podcast now, unsubscribe, (laughs) and leave us. Jack Feldman wrote the lyrics for Copacabana by Barry Manilow and worked on Thumbelina and Lion King (gasps) 2, Simba's Pride. Wait, he did Thumbelina? He did. Let Me Be Your Wings. Let Me Be Your Wings. That is Jack Feldman. Oh, my God. The musical underscore is by J.A.C. Redford. And the cinematography is by Andrew Laszlo, who did Inner Space. Hmm. This film stars heartthrob Christian Bale as Jack Kelly, Robert (laughs) Duvall as Joseph Pulitzer, David Mosco as David Jacobs, Bill Pullman as Brian Denton, Luke Edwards as Les Jacobs, Marty Belafsky as Crutchy, and Anne-Margaret as Meta Larkson, (laughs) to name a few. This is where things start to get a little bit interesting. (laughs) The budget was approximately $15 million, (laughs) and the box office, $2.8 million. Which leads me to talk about the reception of this film. (laughs) This fucker was a bomb. It didn't make back even a fifth of what it shelled out for this movie and remains one of the lowest grossing live action films ever produced by Disney. Wow, man. After its poor opening weekend, the film was actually pulled from many of the theaters. And it was only later after its video release that it would gain a cult following, which then, you know, Power of the People led to the Broadway musical. Mm Mm-hmm. It currently has a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 88% audience score, which tells you everything you need to know about this cult following. Yes. Uh, One of the reviews that I want to pull out is by Leonard Malton, who I feel like is very kind to Disney always. He says, and I quote, This ambitious, up to a point, project is done in by a lackluster score and by cramped production numbers that seem cheap, despite the movie's hefty production budget, not to mention its bloated running time, end quote. Mm. So much of the critiques of this film targeted the score and the musical numbers specifically as being particularly underwhelming, especially off of the heels of Alan Menken doing Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) (laughs) It was nominated for five Razzie Awards, which if you don't know what the Razzie (laughs) Awards are, they are the awards that they do every year for the worst films, performances, etc. of the year. It won Worst Original Song for High Times, Hard Times, which is the second song sung by Meadow Larkson. I agree. (laughs) I'm going to dive into, I did write us a little plot synopsis of uh, Thank you, yes, yes. In what is essentially Annie for boys, we find ourselves on the streets of New York in 1899 among the orphans and street rats who peddle newspapers for a living. When the rich newspaper baron, Joseph Pulitzer, looks to further increase his profits, he increases the price of the newspapers that the newsies must buy before distributing. This Cheap-ass move sparks outrage among the newsies of New York who, led by expert newsie and ex-child convict Jack Kelly, sporting an expertly styled Gen Z middle part, Mm. organize into a makeshift union on a mission to change the way the little man is viewed by the rich and powerful. 
It is child labor laws set to music. <laughs> yes, it is. Newsies. <laughs> Newsies. For your consideration, this is Newsies. <laughs> All right, tell us about the Broadway musical. Oh, there's nothing I'd love to do more. <laughs> That's like the most accurate statement I think you've ever Oh, heard. yeah. When I was writing just the history of this, I was like, calm down. You don't need to tell them all this information. <laughs> a nice fat forehead vein coming as <laughs> you're just like typing away, clickety-clack. <laughs> all right. So, Newsies officially opened on Broadway on March 29th, 2012, for what was going to be a limited engagement just through June 10th. But after only the first few preview performances that began on March 15th, the show was extended through August 19th. Defying all expectations, the show was then given an open-ended run once it hit May, and it remained open until August 24th, 2014. It became the fastest recouping show in Disney theatrical history, earning back its $5 million investment nine months after opening. This is especially amazing considering that the show played at the Nederlander Theater, which is about one-third-ish smaller than other Disney on Broadway houses. Yeah. So very, very impressive. Even when the show closed, it was still playing at 85 to 95% capacity. Disney on Broadway likes to close things before they really fall off. I, I get that. It played 1,004 performances and grossed over $100 million. Definitely making up for the film. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. That's when you were giving those film numbers. I was like, wow, what a great story. And just like then the Broadway musical smashed that whole thing. It's just amazing. Yeah. So here's a brief history of its development. There was a passionate demand for Disney theatrical productions to create a stage adaptation of the film. And the original plan was just to create one simply for amateur and regional productions. There was a lot of demand for schools to be able to put this show on. So then Harvey Firestein signed on as the book writer in 2009, and developmental readings of the musical took place in New York City in 2010. Newsies then made its regional premiere at the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey on September 25th, 2011. So how fun. It's about to be the 10-year anniversary of when Newsies first debuted, so I'm glad we're doing this. And it was simply to serve pretty much as a test production for the license. It, there was not really any planned life for it beyond that, except for being available to be licensed. The show then received excellent reviews for its four-week run at the paper mill with the following team. The director was Jeff Calhoun, who has also directed Bonnie and Clyde and Brooklyn. If you were, like, in middle school, like, around the time when we were, like, I had a Brooklyn obsession for a while, Eden Espinosa singing Once Upon a Time. Wow. The choreography was by Christopher Gatelli, who has choreographed lots of things, um, notably The King and I 2015 revival. The book was by Harvey Firestein, adapted from the screenplay. The music by Alan Menken and lyrics by Jack Feldman. The costumes were by Jess Goldstein, who also did On the Town. And honestly, this is probably just a me thing. There was um, a production of The Merchant of Venice that Lily Rabe was in, and she had this beautiful red dress that I'm obsessed with. And Jess Goldstein <laughs> did that, so thank you. Um, that is so you. <laughs> that's me. Um, the sets were by Tobin Ost and lighting by Jeff Kreuter. I'm a gigantic nerd about the development of musicals, so in short, the show ended up making a surprise transfer to Broadway. I won't give you the details, but it's all very interesting. The original Broadway cast of Newsies was pretty much identical to the Paper Mill Playhouse cast and was as follows. Jeremy Jordan as Jack Kelly, Ben Fankhauser as Davey, Kara Lindsay as Catherine Plummer, 
John Dossett as Joseph Pulitzer. Um, in the filmed Disney Plus version that we will be discussing, the role was played by Steve Blanchard, aka the first beast that I ever saw on Broadway. Steve. Oh, oh my God. Steve. Um, <laughs> Andrew Keenan Bolger is crutchy. Woo! <laughs> Um, Capathia Jenkins as Meta Larkin played in the filmed production by Aisha DeHaas. Louis Grosso and Matthew Schechter alternating as Les, who was played by Ethan Steiner in the filmed production on Disney+. And Tommy Brocco as Spot Conlon. And honestly, I wish I had time to shout out every single newsie in this ensemble because they are truly, truly all incredible performers. But we would be here for a while because it's a big cast. So, quick, 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 quick. This is just a fun little story that I love about how everything works out. So Jeremy Jordan was rehearsing his role as Clyde Barrow in Bonnie and Clyde while starring in the Paper Mill Playhouse production of Newsies. When Newsies announced its Broadway run, Jeremy would be unable to join because of his commitment to Bonnie and Clyde. Sadly, that production was extremely short-lived. Also, BT Dubs, I got to see you when it was on Broadway. I thought it was amazing. Please listen to the cast recording. And then... Because that show closed, Jeremy was able to join the Broadway production after all. Then, when the show extended, Jeremy then had a commitment to the TV show Smash. So he had to leave on September 4th, 2012, giving now Broadway star Corey Cott his Broadway debut fresh out of Carnegie Mellon. Everything happens for a reason. I promise I'm done after this. Don't get me started also on the, oh my gosh, the amazing performers who I read about who helped develop this show in workshops who didn't get to bring it to paper mill. Thank you for your contributions. That's this business. It's tough. Like they, they are really responsible for so much of the creation of these roles, but didn't get to take it to the premiere. It's tough. Yeah. But there is also a period of time though, with Jeremy Jordan, when he was doing smash and doing the evening shows every single night, he was doing a full day of shooting and then going to the show. I can't even imagine. Which like, is Even kind of amazing. Watching these performers do just one performance of Newsies and do nothing else during the day, I'd be exhausted. But it's incredible. Huh. Anyway, the show received on Broadway positive reviews with many complimenting the improvements um, on the story from Firestein's book, the choreography by Gatelli, and the lack of overly splashy sets and effects, as well as Jeremy Jordan's performance. Variety called it Disney's happiest outing since The Lion King. The show was nominated for eight Tony Awards, winning for Best Choreography and Best Original Score, and it also won two Drama Desk Awards for Outstanding Choreography and Outstanding Music. A North American tour was launched on October 11th, 2014, and ran through October 2nd, 2016. After the tour concluded, a mixture of performers from the tour and Broadway casts performed the show for a filmed production on September 11th, 2016 at the Pantages Theater in Hollywood. It was released in theaters in February 2017 and is now available on Disney+. Plus. The release was so popular that a March showing was added to theaters as well as an encore release in August. People just love Newsies. They love this show. Yeah. It's crazy. We will, we will touch on this much more um, in our, you know, pros and cons, strengths and weaknesses. But just to note, since I'm not doing a plot synopsis, some of the major changes from the film include... The composite character Catherine Plummer was created by combining Sarah and Denton from the film. Several new songs were written and existing songs were adjusted or removed for changes in the plot. Also, interestingly, Crutchy's song Letter from the Refuge, which you see in the Disney Plus version of the Broadway musical, was added specifically for the national tour. Hmm. And it would be wrong in this history of this show 
not to mention the fansies, the passionate fans of Newsies. Oh, my God. I truly think none of this would have been possible without them. It never would have been put into development. It wouldn't have moved to Broadway, and it wouldn't have been as successful as it was on Broadway at all. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get started by looking at, you know, some of the strengths and weaknesses of the film and the Broadway version, I do just want to mention that some of our friends, Anna and Grace, actually just did an episode about Newsies uh, on their podcast, 5678. So if we don't go as far as you want to go into Newsies, or if you're just like, I need everything Newsies, go ahead, check them out. They've got some great stuff happening over there. Yes. But I guess let's look at the film and let's look at some of the strengths and weaknesses there and then we'll hop over to to Broadway. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So we're going to look at the strengths and weaknesses of the film and the Broadway musical through three sort of main topics. One being the story and the music. Two being the direction and the design. And three being the effectiveness of the medium slash the performances. And so when I say effectiveness of the medium, just, you know, it being a film or it being a Broadway production. Mm-hmm. So diving right into the film, some of the strengths in the story and music. I mean, first off, I just want to say that this film has one of the incredibly difficult and daunting tasks to create a well-crafted movie musical that follows the formula of a stage to screen adaptation instead of like musical reviews of old Hollywood, but it doesn't get to do the stage part first. Mm -hmm. So that I think is like the fact that they were able to come up with this musical, which can sort of be like shooting in the dark or reverse engineering when going for the movie part first. I think that's truly a great feat. And I want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of respect for that because that is not easy to do and to do something that I think is as effective as this movie actually is. There's a reason why a lot of people grew up with this return to this movie and it became a cult classic. It resonated with a lot of people and it did work. It didn't necessarily work for a lot of critics and there are definitely some flaws I think in the film, but largely I think it worked and I think that's a real big feat to celebrate. Personally for me, I like the script well enough. It's an interesting story to turn into a movie and I think that they do it well. I'll offer the caveat that I do think that this movie would be hard-pressed for children to understand some of the specifics as to why the strike is happening might be just above comprehension for, like, some of the target audience of the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in terms of it being a family film, I don't ever feel like this movie is talking down to me as an older person. Mm -hmm. I feel like this has its trajectory. It's staying its course. And we get to interact with it from where we are as opposed to it trying to reach us. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I think in terms of the story, in in terms of adapting this moment in history into a movie musical... It's not something that I I would have initially thought like, oh, this is going to be a movie musical. That's exactly what I have written. I was like, if someone pitched this idea to me, I would probably say no to it. (laughs) Yeah. And for them to... And it works. And I think it really works. It really works. Yeah. And yes, there are flaws in the script, which we'll talk about. But largely the trajectory, the arc that they've charted with this, which does remain largely the same between 
the film and the Broadway musical, I think that's a very strong indication that the film did get it right in terms of where this movie is beginning and where this movie is going. Yeah. You hit really what I thought about the story, too. Um, And I think what ties into that perfectly is just, like I said, if someone pitched this idea to me, I would say no, partially because I would think – how do you write music for that situation? And what does it sound like? And how do you suit it to young boys? Just how do you do this? And I think the music suits the story. Again, there's some things I have to say about that as well. But overall, I mean, on a surface level, these songs are bops. Despite the fact that some of them are very similar in tone, they're catchy, they're uplifting, tuneful, and just purely enjoyable. And for that reason, I'm actually surprised that the film didn't do better than it did just because the music is very good. And I think good. they're, speaking of children, I think they're songs that kids can enjoy and can really get into. And I just really think it's a pretty bizarre overall idea, taking that historical event, turning it into a movie musical for Disney. None of those things should have worked. And I know a lot of people think it didn't, but I actually think it really did work. That's just generally what I have to say. I think the music really helps carry this and unite all of these disparate ideas. Yeah. And I think it's a testament to the music in how it was a point of a lot of contention for folks, especially critics in the film. And then years later, it would win the Tony for the the score. Yeah, exactly. And not a whole lot music-wise changed, particularly yeah. surrounding some of those big numbers. The big like, numbers, Like right. Seize the Day, King of New York. Like I love they, Once and Santa for All. Fe. Once and for All is yeah, so good. Once and good. For All is great. Mm, I yeah. love Once and For All. Yeah, but those songs, I mean, they had like some orchestral like adjustments. They were, you know, elongated and, and, and everything, but... There wasn't any change necessarily in the music, Mm -hmm. but people responded to it extremely differently. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. I think it's also interesting. In my first watch, I thought the music was largely forgettable. The second time I watched Mm -hmm. it a day later, I couldn't get the songs out of my head. Oh, I couldn't get the – me too. And I knew them before, so I know it's different for me. But I have been singing these songs, oh my gosh, (laughs) all day. Well, looking at the story and the music on the flip side of things, I would agree that the runtime of this movie is a bit ballooned. There are Mm -hmm. certainly some opportunities to trim some of the fat from the plot. For example, the number of times that we return to the refuge or the number of times we return to Davy's home, which aren't really essential in driving the plot forward. Mm -hmm. But that being said, there are also some moments that feel completely rushed if they actually wanted them to happen. In particular, I think Jack's love interest with Davy's sister feels (sighs) so out of left field and not really necessary. I mean, if they want to keep it, we need some development there. Otherwise, like trim that fat. We see them together one time. And the second time we see them together, he's asking her if she would miss him if he was gone. And and I was like, why why would she? (laughs) And he's like sleeping outside her window. And I'm just like, Also, she barely even gets to answer. That's why that storyline felt ick to me, too, is she barely gets to speak. Yeah. And then Jack almost leaves forever without saying goodbye to her. And we have to watch this poor girl crying because he didn't even say goodbye. Slash, like, almost gets, like, sexually assaulted Yes, yes, that which I'm so sick and tired of. And she's a young, she's a child. It's no, no, no. There is a whole, I think her entire trajectory and purpose in this story felt she just felt like a prop to be manipulated and that's not that's not interesting to me 
to be completely honest, I didn't even need a love interest in this story. I think it's much more interesting for Jack's journey to be finding family without the aspect of romantic love, rather mm-hmm. accepting his role to the other newsies and his place within Davy's family, mm-hmm. as opposed to this romantic love that that they're forcing on, yeah. on us. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like they probably saw, oh, a sister. We can't justify having her here for any other reason than to fall in love with our main character, mm-hmm. which I'm tired of that trope. I get that this is the 90s. But we still don't need it. Like, but we got so many other it, like and it wasn't effective. We got so many other like female characters in the '90s who were nothing like this. And that's very actually, true. I forgot this too. There was a song planned for Sarah, but it was cut because Elle Keats couldn't sing. First of all, I'm pretty sure I heard her singing in one part, and I thought her voice sounded good. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But also, it just this is again. We'll talk about this more later in performances, but. It just makes me wonder, like, why couldn't we fix that and give her a song and give her more agency by then, if that was the problem, casting an actor who could sing to play her? Yeah, or do a, <laughs> do a singing in the rain style dub or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like, or like you said, just take her out. Any of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I just felt like her character in particular was probably the biggest piece of fat yeah. in this story that didn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think sort of hindered the momentum of the plot and yeah. led to the larger the larger runtime. Mm-hmm. Like there's also that moment where what's his name Snyder like comes to the boarding house and Jack has that whole thing where like he's behind him and like making funny faces and stuff like that. Oh, also again to me that also just like were took down. Where I'm going to get to this in in other parts, but the stakes of it were lower than for me because I actually really enjoy. And I'll talk about this when we talk about the musical. I enjoy the refuge being more of a threat and a very sinister part of the story. And then things like that happen where Snyder's there and so is Jack and they're within inches of each other and Jack is sort of making fun of him. And I understand that that's Jack's character, but it just lowered the stakes for me in what this was also a real part of life for children in the 1890s were these terrible places yeah. like this. And it's awful to think about. And we that could have really been mined for dramatic effect, and I don't think it was as much as it could have been. I think some of the unknowability that we get in the Broadway musical ab- around the refuge, I think, served it well. Whereas I felt the more time that we spent with the refuge, the less of a threat that it became. Fascinating. Okay, I can't wait to talk about that more. Because okay. I, I felt like just seeing all the boys in the bunks didn't feel very different to me than the boys in the boarding house. Hmm. So it didn't feel, oh. to me, watching, it felt very, very similar as opposed to very um, different. Okay. Valid. Also, I have to mention this and we'll probably cut this out. But the woman in the opening number where we got the nuns and there's that <laughs> woman who's like going through the crowd and she's like looking for her her boy. Yes. I was convinced that that was going to be Jack's mom at the end and she's literally oh. not important at all. No, I was so baffled by that moment. I was like, what that the fuck so is happening song. here? And she's like, oh, I did it. And like, what? <laughs> like, Johnny. You thought that was going to be like. I, I thought that was a major Did you think that was going to be like a Sweeney Todd style reveal yes. at the end? I, <laughs> no, I thought that was like a beggar woman <laughs> moment. No. And it was truly nothing. Oh, my God. I, I'm so glad you said that because I forgot all about that. How strange that was. Yeah. That motif was like really, really beautiful. And I was like, I don't want to cut that. But also, <laughs> What? <laughs> Going into the music of it, I have to say the orchestrations in this movie are kind of weird and all over the place. 
sometimes we're very concretely in the time period with like, you know, the underscoring with the harmonica <laughs> and stuff like that. And then out of nowhere during Seize the Day, we have an electronic beat like <laughs> coming out of left field. <laughs> and it just completely takes me out of this world that they're creating. Like even accepting that this is a heightened story, like it's a musical. There are a few moments that I just feel like are jumping the shark here. Mm, thoughts on that? Did you have a similar reaction or am I alone here? <laughs> That's really funny. I'm honestly still <laughs> laughing about that woman. <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> right? There are these moments that just feel so weird. Yeah, no, you're you're you are right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but there are so oh. many moments where the music feels like it's going somewhere and then it just ends. Mm. Uh like Seize the Day has like two moments and none of them really feels like a full number because it doesn't feel like we're building towards anything and then it just stops and it ends and then we move on to a new scene. Um, yeah, okay. And so that was like very jarring for me. But then there's also this moment where we have, you know, the flip side of that where the music itself is stopping the the momentum of the story dead. Basically anything that Meta sings just shuts the whole movie down. Like she's not really a useful character for any other purpose hmm. but offering them a place to hold the rally later in the film. Not to mention the attachment that she has to racetrack, I feel like is like really not okay. She's like totally inappropriate. <laughs> she's like she's a woman, and no, he that's is a child. My, yeah, and she was making it seem like they were lovers, but then also calls out the fact like he's just a boy. I'm like, okay, great. So you know that, right? But why then are you doing like, what you're doing? Yeah, and like Jack is a little bit older than everybody else, but the way that he like kisses her goodbye when he's leave when he has to run away. It's all strange, and that's why when she gives Hey Fellas vibes, it's to these children who she's kind of letting hang all over her. Yeah, at least in Great Mouse Detective, they're towards, like, consenting adults who can <laughs> all drink. Right. They're consenting. They're consenting mice, but all right. Um, <laughs> End the bat. Um, <laughs> consenting rodents. Um, but if we wanted to highlight that as, like, yes, New York in 1899 is so seedy. Okay, but that's not what we were trying to say. That's not the movie we're doing here. That's not the family film musical of 1992 from Disney. Obviously, there are more songs in the stage show. So because there are fewer here, there's even more of a lack of musical variety. It's very, obviously, I mean, it's about a group of newsies, so I get it. But it's very group number heavy. And even thematically, these songs are all very similar. We also don't really get to see layers of the Newsies revealed through song because of this. Like, we don't learn anything new about them except for Jack and Santa Fe through these songs. And I think that's why it suffers a little bit. I The songs, even though I enjoy them and I, like, I'm like, yeah, I'm rooting for the Newsies, I don't become more emotionally tied to them per se through the songs. And I think I, I could that. use that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel like my emotional investment from them comes within the actual scene work. A hundred percent. And the yes. and the dialogue. Yes. And just literally everything about Spot Conlin. He's oh my, my favorite. God, my God, I love Never Spot. fear, Brooklyn's, Brooklyn's here. here. We never lived in Brooklyn ever. And we're and I, but I felt like, yeah, Brooklyn. Yeah. Like, yeah, Brooklyn. <laughs> God bless Spot Conlin. All right, looking back at some of the strengths of the film through direction and design, I think the production design of this movie is extremely impressive. It mm-hmm. is very all-encompassing. The sets, the costumes are chock full of detail. 
the streets all feel very specific from location yeah. to location and very supportive of the action. I'm thinking of the Newsy Square, the docks of Brooklyn, the streets outside the world distribution lot, uh, mm-hmm. slash the gate area. The distribution site, especially when Spot Conlon and the Brooklyn Newsies show up, it feels like a playground with all of the levels from the rooftops, the staircases, the landings, and it all helps the chaos of the scene feel grounded mm. in the fact that at the end of the day, these are still kids interacting in a grown-up world. Yeah. I thought that scene in particular was just so cleverly directed. It, I just felt like we were really making the most use out of this space. And I really got the feeling of like, this is what happens when kids are interacting with the real world where it's Mm -hmm. like, it's, Mm -hmm. it's like a Boston tea party situation. Yeah. But if kids did the Boston tea party and so it just like felt, it felt really clever in the way that it was done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Honestly, I think Kenny Ortega gets a pretty bad rap for this film and I'm not really sure why. Um, I think this is a fine directing job done. And also, he's one of the choreographers. And I feel like is completely responsible for this style of dance that is now immediately recognizable as belonging to Newsies. We see sort of some things like this a little bit in West Side Story, I guess. But it's pretty specific. It's like equal parts athletic and like very like youthful, like kids jumping around combined with like pure like ballet modern. Yeah, it's the jumping with like the hands above your head and like both legs like kicked up underneath you. It's iconically Newsies. And that started here. In terms of things to look at in the direction of design that weren't working as well, I have a couple of gripes. Uh, again, I think I would agree with Leonard Malton's assessment that a lot of the production numbers do feel cramped. Like, there are moments, especially in the first Seize the Day, where I am actually convinced that these kids are going to hit each other with a stray <laughs> leg and then they all fall down like a bunch of dominoes. Like, I'm convinced it's going to happen. For a movie that's dealing with a lot of themes of big and small, I just feel like at times they aren't letting the newsies, the small characters, feel bigger in physical space by really filling the screen with them for Mm -hmm. the big dance numbers. Yep, I agree. I never really had that big goosebumps-inducing shot happen And I was like, oh, maybe that's just something that you get from watching a stage production. But then I thought of the pool choreography um, during 96,000 in the the Heights film. And I was like, oh, yeah, Yeah. you can you can make it happen. Um, And uh, like like Hello, Dolly, before the parade passes by, like put on your Sunday clothes, like these huge numbers that are epic and sweeping. Yeah. Similarly, in the same sort of topic about the choreography. I mentioned this with the music, but the choreography also follows this. It feels broken in that none of the dance numbers, I feel like, are allowed to grow and build into something. Mm -hmm. Seize the Day, for example, I mentioned, it's broken in half and neither one lasts for a long time. The way that, you know, a musical number would probably happen in a movie musical or a stage musical where you've got, you know, some singing a large dance break and then it reprises the the yeah. the first stuff that was happening and it grows into something big and it has a big flashy finale and then the song is over like that's that's mm-hmm. your big like you know act 1 closer and seize the day could certainly be that act 1 closer yeah and it doesn't 
feel like that because it's chopped literally in half. Mm -hmm. And then the second time that we see it is when they choose to include some more modern elements, uh, especially in the music and in the dance, which just (laughs) feels so out of sorts in a movie that seems like so committed to time period. It almost needed to go in that sort of Baz Luhrmann direction of existing very specifically in a period but throughout the entire thing, commenting on it with modern elements, this sort mm-hmm. of like quarter of the way their place just felt a little bit wonky. Like when they're doing the arm thing and like hopping and like having the sort of like break the dance arm. moment in the second sees the day. I'm just like, yeah. it took me right out of it. In a movie that like you go into Pulitzer's office and the detail work in that yeah, office. It is, yeah, I feel like yeah. all the work that the production designers did is just at a disservice in one dance move. Damn. And I just wanted them Damn. to commit to one thing or the other. Or if they were going to, you know, have this hyper realistic world. And fill it with a lot of, like, modern elements. That's fine. But I needed to see that in more places than mm-hmm. just, like, a couple sprinkles here and yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Did you love the arms? <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that I felt the same way about them until you said that. Because I came right out of it when they were doing the arms. And in a weird way, I was like, ooh, yeah. I want to get down with the arms. But it was making me that watch how the I was the first. That yeah. was how the first time. But, I yes, it took me outside of it. I was yeah. like, oh, they're doing something. I, I became very aware that I'm watching a movie. <laughs> yeah. There are just it's a couple. Like, again, this makes me think fun. of. Yeah, it makes me think of another moment when that happened is we, we've got we've got Christian Bale singing Santa Fe. It's not like the best vocals in the world. I can totally live with it, though. It's fine. He's 17, whatever. But then we have him doing this really important song, like the really in this film, the only song that's really just like the I want song, more emotional and like he's a kid. Uh, it's just very touching. I want him just to stick on the fire escape and sing it. Sure, it's a film. And also it's not he's just not a big old belter like Jeremy Jordan. So we've got to have him walk the streets. That's fine. But then he steals a horse and like rides a horse down the street for a minute. And it was so strange to me yeah i'm like because i was like what's going on because it made me be like literally what is going on why are we why there's absolutely no reason to have him do this but also in a way he stole the horse and then he like abandons the horse yeah he left the horse and it almost made me feel like oh yeah you know he wants to go to santa fe and have the open space and open air and horses well he's on a horse right here in new york city so why leave you know (laughs) like it was so odd (laughs) oh it was just one of those things where it's like, why are we wasting our time? And like, why are you bringing my attention to him on a horse? It was very strange. So yeah, I guess what that that feeling of like, what's extra? Yeah. And then he hops off the horse to do another little bit of a modern dance moment oh, God. with arms again. So good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, great. You know, let's let's now talk about some of the good stuff in the effectiveness yeah. of the of the medium okay. and some of the performances. Mm-hmm. So. I would say an advantage that this film has over the stage adaptation is the ability to really immerse yourself in the specific time period and the world, which I think is so essential to the story that we're telling. We're talking about, you know, a very uh, specific place and time inspired by true events. And there really is no substitution for me with the fact that we're actually able to have actors who are of the correct age to play the characters And it makes it so much easier for us to buy into the story. It's something really profound to see 
a bunch of children doing yes. the things that a bunch of children did mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to a bunch of adults doing it. Yeah. Also, to fill the screen with that many people <gasps> really helps you appreciate the scale yes. of the strike, yes. which is easy to capture on film and so much harder to realize on the stage. When mm-hmm. Jack and Pulitzer are looking out the window at all of those people in the streets, it's it's really moving. It's it's kind yes. of incredible to see that many people there. That's the thing that stood out to me is when they're finally joined by all of these other children who are laborers led by the bicycles. The big goosebumps moment I wanted to get from the choreography, it came to me in that exact moment of watching all of these kids flood the square. And yeah, there's yeah, truly I'm actually no having substitute. goosebumps happen yep. right now as we're there talking is about no sub. That's that's what got me the most emotional. And really, we're telling the story because it really happened, and it's so important. And like you said, I we'll talk about it. How can you recreate that on stage? It's nearly impossible. But I think that yeah. that alone gives this really edges it in front for me for now in terms of which one I'm going to choose because there's no substituting driving back home. Why are we making this film in the first place? Because these children really did this. Yeah stylistically i feel like there's this almost like sepia tone warmth yes. to the entire yes. movie mm-hmm. part of that's also coming from the fact that it is an older movie in the 90s, yeah, the 90s but it helps wash the entire film with this more classic antique tone yeah, it looks so and antique yes yes it's again it's helping us access the world of the story more fully and completely and this will be something I talk a little bit more about with the Broadway musical, but I wish that there had been a little bit more of that feel integrated into the production. I agree. Mm-hmm. Oh, for me, it's interesting. You kind of said the opposite in terms of streamlining the story a bit. Um, the fact that we returned to the refuge a couple of times. That's actually something I really enjoyed. I liked the ability to shift to different locations that just isn't as possible um, on mm-hmm. stage. And you're, it's interesting now that you said it. You're right. The refuge didn't look so scary. Honestly, the scariest part of it was was Snyder. And also the cart that they carry around the boys in is so disturbing. Yeah. But for me, it actually, it did give a bit of variety to it to really be able to shift to that other location. That was a big kind of like underlying threat to the whole story. I think that was an advantage as well that, they, that we'll talk more about when we get to the Broadway musical. Performance-wise, I have to say, I think Christian Bale and David Mosco. I think give some of the best performances in this entire film. They're both youthful, but they're also so sophisticated. They really Mm -hmm. give like a performance that's beyond their years. It's chock full of subtleties and specificity. And it really elevates these characters off the page in really memorable personas. Like when you think about this, I can very vividly see a lot of the like idiosyncrasies of Christian Bale's character of Jack Kelly and of Davey. I think that both of those actors really rose to the occasion of, yeah. of doing something more with the parts than what was just written. And then stylistically, I really like the imperfections in the voices of the cast. I think it's more interesting to me. It's more honest and it's more period than having, you know, buttery, polished, perfect voices that you might expect in a musical. It's part of the reason why I really liked how they recorded the music of Les Mis how it was all done live and you could hear yeah. the imperfections of the performances. It's all about that honesty for me. It was a breath of fresh air to see someone put the truth and the essence of a moment ahead of what the final quality of the sound was like. Hmm. Performance wise, honestly, Bill Pullman as Denton almost made me wish uh, that they had kept that character in the stage show. Almost not quite, but he was so 
warm and lovely, and seeing the boys have sort of like a father, older brother figure had a significance and weight that was sort of missing in the stage show. But interestingly, I would not, I I like Catherine, and again, we'll get there, but he was close. He was close to making me wish that they kept him because he, what a lovely performance. I just really enjoyed it. Okay, now looking at the flip side, the weaknesses of the effectiveness of the medium and some of the performances. Mm-hmm. I think at times, because they knew they could do so much with film, you can, you know, smash cut the passage of time or from like location to location. I think that they bit off a bit more than they could chew. And this kind mm-hmm. of goes back to what I was saying, you know, with, yeah. the, with the plot of jumping from some of those locations. The medium can almost become a bit of a trap since... So many musicals start on stage before they go to the screen. Usually the task in the film is, what do we add? And it feels like they anticipated that question and added a bit too much preemptively so that when it came time to adapt the movie into a stage musical, the task was really focused on stripping things away. And it was a bit easier for them to be like, how do we just streamline this as opposed to you know, what the process usually is of going stage to screen. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like aside from Jack, Davey, Denton, and Crutchy, so many of the other characters just sort of became like general washes or outlines of characters. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a pitfall of the performances, but again, operating on a scale, you know, I would also throw Spot Conlon in there too. He felt very specific. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, operating on a scale that wasn't really supportive of deeply personalizing so many of the characters, I think that's coming from the medium and was a little bit of a trap that they fell into. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, of course, in Annie, there aren't as many of them, but we know all of the orphans in Annie. We We know know all the orphans. We know Pepper. We know Pepper. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, that's a wrap on where we are with the film. Now let's Mm. move on to the musical, shall we? We shall. In terms of the strengths of the story and the music for the stage musical, let's talk about this. So we, we touched on it a little bit. For me, Catherine Plummer, the character of Catherine Plummer, who is, you know, you join Sarah and Denton and you get Catherine Plummer. I think this is a major win for the licensing alone. If schools are going to do the show, you need a big part for your leading gal. That's just how it's got to be. Yeah. Although there are some slightly like tropey things about her, I think... This was a pretty clever way of incorporating a female with agency in a setting in which women didn't really have any agency at the time. And I was like, how are you going to get around that? And I think it was done in a very smart way. I felt like Catherine strengthened Jack's character because it makes much more sense and it's easier to watch him fall for someone who can match him rather than someone passive like Sarah is in the film. And he is someone who can challenge him and he needs that and he doesn't really have that anywhere else. He's just like, everybody loves him. Everybody listens to everything he says. This was a good way of fleshing him out a bit more and having someone who can match him a bit. I think it was useful. Yeah, we could really see their friendship relationship grow over time and that it wasn't just like, Smash cut, we're back together. He's sleeping on the fire escape and asking yeah. her if she would miss him if he was gone. Because yeah. if he asked Catherine that, she'd be like, I don't even know who you are. Get out of my She box. does say that. She's like, like, You're who are you? She's like, I don't even know you. <laughs> <laughs> and and in the same ways, thank goodness for the changes in Meta Larkin's character. Ooh, um, yeah. number one, her song replacement rewrite. Thank goodness for this. Um, her song That's Rich is it's funny. So good. It's so much less painful than my lovey dovey baby and hard times. <laughs> Both of which were just giving me cringe. Uh, You know, 
I think having the storyline of Jack being an artist, which Meta encourages, interesting. We'll talk about this later. I think it was just like a little heavy handed, but good. She's there to just add another, again, add some more dimension to our leading character. Yeah, I have to say, I think the script for the musical is actually a lot more concise, a lot more shored up than the film. A lot of the superfluous subplots are really streamlined and everything does feel to be working together to be driving the plot forward at all times. We're given time with the love interest to build it as opposed to it just randomly happening out of Mm -hmm. nowhere in the way that it does with the movie. But I also think taking the opportunity to address some of the historical inaccuracies of the film, which kind of came with like a little bit of a of flack from people where they were like, well, this is a good movie, but it's not correct. And people are like, okay, well, whatever. And so I think Harvey Firestein being like, okay, great. Let's put a little bit more history in there. And so like letting the strike end with the agreement to buy back the papers, which mm-hmm. was based in how that strike actually ended or introducing Pulitzer's daughter as like this homage to Nellie Bly, who was one of the first female journalists and worked at the New York world, like mm-hmm. that made a lot of sense to like sort yeah. of bring these little elements of history back into it. So, I mean, yeah, to be honest, I still don't need the romantic element, but in this story, like it's going to happen and it at least made a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The, and so then the music, we don't have very many new songs, surprisingly. Actually, when I look back and compare it, I was like, oh, It's not really that many new songs. And I like the new ones. Watch what happens for Catherine. Again, I am just love that Catherine got a song that's about her work. And it could have very easily been her singing a song about this scoundrel, Jack Kelly, is so frustrating. Thank God that she did not get a song about that. It's about her writing. And I love that and I appreciate it. I really love the – oh, man – I've worked on this in voice lessons. It's a really hard thing between the pattery style and just the high belting. Just like, again, touches on performances, but claps for Kara Lindsay. She makes it look so easy and she makes it really fun. So easy. And I was listening to it. I'm like, this is very challenging. It's so hard. It's so hard. And then something to believe in. You know, they, again, they're going to need a love song. Um, It's cute. and we, and we definitely, at the end of the day, we did need a softer moment in this show. And this one gets major points for adding more variety to the score that, again, that we talked about is full of a lot of power ballads, of power group ballads. So this was, again, a nice, soft moment of, like, pause and space in the show that I think it needed. So well done on the new songs. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the additional musical interludes to sort of bring us through the scenes, they work really well to sort of, like, harken back to the musical themes that we know and love, bring in some of those reprises. But I really appreciate that those bigger numbers of the film that lasted only very short amounts of time, they were expanded into proper full sequences that are building towards something. And it's really evidence in those long dance breaks that allow for us to have a really big finish that is earned. And, you know, Seize the Day is what I called out in the movie as Mm -hmm. being problematic and here it's very much fixed like yes it really feels like we're we're moving somewhere yes and then you know my last thing is that the entire score seems very much fixed from where it was in the film especially around those orchestrations that felt a little wonky that were sort of at odds with Uh, you know, the underscore. And I think, you know, what helps is that we don't have a different composer underscoring the music by Mm -hmm. two other people. 
So that's not contributing to the fact of it being disjointed, but I also felt like the new orchestrations for a lot of these songs just felt a little bit more fuller, more well-balanced, and just more appropriate with the actual instrumentation than what we got in the movie. Agreed. Okay, so for weaknesses in the story and the music, I feel like my things I have to say here are super specific, but let's go with it. So Santa Fe in this version This song, in a way, lost a bit of its power for me in this version because the show opens with it and sort of knowing the material, I expected it to be what they do make it later, which is a big moment, emotional moment for Jack. Um, I wish it had been kept as as just that. And I missed the theme from the original that had to be lost due to the script changes. We don't meet Davy's family anymore, so we have to change some of the lyrics of Santa Fe. So now it's just about him wanting to get out of New York and how New York ruined his dad. Oh, okay. I also understand that in this, we have to have an older actor playing Jack, so it might not be as touching to see a grown man singing about, you know, wanting to have a family. Just, I understand why the changes were made, but it made Santa Fe, which I really love and I find to be very emotional, it lost a bit of the emotion for me. I've kind of said this too. I could have used a bit more variation in style with the additional songs in this production because they just added more to that heavy, it's not heavily emotional, but it's just sometimes those power ballads over and over can feel a little bit heavy. And I know that writing for a group can be tricky, but I would have loved more solo moments for the Newsies as well. And I also would have liked Jack to get another song. He needed another solo for sure. And they turned, when he finally takes it as a solo, they turned Santa Fe, like Jeremy Jordan is giving it his all. Yeah. But I feel like he's kind of making that happen rather than, because they try to turn his solo Santa Fe moment into his moment of, oh my gosh, look what I've, I think this is a necessary musical moment. Look what I've done. I led everybody into this. Crutchy got taken and it's my fault. I think, again, I'm such a nerd. If if there are other musical theater people out there, I so apologize for bringing up Wicked all the time, but it's just easy to reference. (laughs) The Wizard and I and No Good Deed are very different. And I think Jack needed Santa Fe to be the Wizard and I, and then he needed a No Good Deed moment because, honestly, that's kind of what he's going through, the same thing. He needed that moment of, like, look, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and they layered that on top I of Santa Fe. So much, I resonate so much more with the Santa Fe in the film version. Yeah. Because it's, it allows this character who we're told is a dreamer, mm-hmm. it allows him to dream. Where it feels like in the musical, his dream is also kind of like a threat. I, I, I don't yeah, like the yeah, way that it's, right, it's right. sort of, he's pushing towards it with everything else that's happening. It feels like... It feels like he's running away from something as opposed to running towards something, which I know is like something that they talk about later. Yeah. yeah. But I do disagree with the fact that Santa Fe is something that Jack would just use to run away from New York because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel at the heart of Jack. Right. Is that really what he's all about? Yeah. I don't think that yeah, he I don't is think that's just what he's about, all about running away. And that's why I like in that final moment of the movie, like – he wants to go to Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. He, there's a lot of things that actually really excite him about Santa Fe that yeah. he longs for and pines for. And his decision to come back at the end of the movie feels like it's coming from a deeper place than, yeah, I'm I'm staying around because in reality, I was just trying to run away from everything. I don't really mm-hmm. care about Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One other very specific thing music-wise is I just think Pulitzer needed a 
better song, a real villain song. I think this role in general just needed a bit more, like, villainy, oddly. We have a clear antagonist. Sure, it's generally, it's larger than that. It's also the labor movement and the man and whatever. But he's the antagonist, and I think that should have been leaned into a bit more. He didn't feel as scary as he does in the film. I mean, this has to do with things we'll talk about later, especially with Jack just kind of like waltzing in and out of his office as he pleased. Like, that took the stakes down a lot. But again, I think it could have been helped by giving him a villain song. And again, that would have added more musical variety to the score in general. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to be honest, I I miss Denton a lot. I don't think that what they've done with the part to, you know, give Catherine a place is bad per se. I do think that Denton makes a little bit more sense with the Teddy Roosevelt tie-in at the end Mm -hmm. that he would be the person to help make that appearance happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think it was also nice for the Newsy boys to have that positive male presence in a world of constant negative male presences. Yep, yep. Given that the musical cut Davy's father and the boarding house dude I just oh, yeah. noticed how lacking it mm-hmm. was in very true in something that I think is very important and something that you know Denton in the film I think he's important to the growth of the boys and especially Jack to learn to become that caretaker for the other boys and so now I'm not quite sure when Jack sort of takes on that responsibility where that's coming from where is that a learned behavior uh-huh. and I do I think that there's room for Catherine and Denton Maybe, probably not. Yeah, it's tough. But it's tough. I feel like if we got rid of Denton, then I think it might have been important to bring in maybe beef up Davy's father role mm-hmm. a bit. Like maybe bring him in, you know, have him, you know, with his arm like all messed up from yeah, his accident right. and stuff like yeah. that. And still trying to provide for his family and things like that. That's it. Yeah, I think we should have kept the family. Then that would have fixed the Santa Fe issue. And then it would have fixed a little bit of that Denton vibe issue as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we're going to cut Denton and give it to Catherine, then we still need a positive male figure somewhere in this. Yeah, I agree. Because it's not happening anywhere. Yeah, I so agree. Even the, like, good guy in Pulitzer's office was replaced by the, like, lady secretary. Yeah, who I could have done without. Who I could have... I mean, I get why they put her in there, because they were like, just, we, need just a, like I feared, you, we need a woman, but that annoys me. I'd rather just not have her, you know? I, I agree. Because it's like, we, we deserve more than that. But literally, there are, there are no positive men. Yeah, ex- yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and you touched on this before. It's, I'm changing my mind about it a bit. I, I I still think it the removal of of seeing really seeing the refuge and and we don't have Snyder do we have Snyder we do is he in the musical see isn't that interesting yeah. forgot that he's in the musical um he doesn't he's in the is not as he's threatening very anymore small. yeah and he's not as threatening and I think that lowered the stakes of the whole thing I, it seems like to me it was cut because a lot of because we're not going to create a whole set for the refuge we just do the bunk one bunk bed fine but i found that to be one of the more disturbing and weighty aspects of the film and without it i'm like yeah okay i definitely want the newsies to get the money that they deserve but it didn't it lost a little bit of the life or death thing that was going on in the film of like you could be taken you could be stuck in this abusive terrible environment 
for years. They wanted to hold Jack there until he was 21, and that feeling was very scary. And that didn't exist in the stage version, and I, yeah. it made the stakes lower for me. Yeah, I had a I had a very opposite reaction to that because, oh, okay. like, when she looks at the drawings, yeah, and she talks about the rats, describing like some of the drawings and the mm-hmm. rats and things like that. Those are things that I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that that's like what the refuge was in Got the it. film. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize mm-hmm. that's how bad things were until I watched the stage musical and they started talking about it a bit more. Interesting. All right, so let's look at the strengths of the direction and the design of this. For me, I I do really like the creativity of these scaffold sets. I typically find scaffold sets to be pretty boring, but the way that these moved and interacted with one another, the blocking of the chase sequences in particular, I thought were kind of thrilling because, you know, they're moving up and down as these structures are moving forward and back so we're playing with a lot of dimensions of space in a really interesting way that i felt was very dynamic and i i think it's interesting also i personally like when people play with vertical space in addition to depth and like the width of a stage so it was cool to see how much advantage of that they could take with the design the roll drops on the sort of like Hollywood squares that were created <laughs> by the, the scaffold. Um, I thought that they were helpful for the amount of projections that they were doing. And I really loved when they played with the asymmetry of them. For example, when they're in Pulitzer's office and they're using sort of like the bottom right side of it, because it also allows you to give some directorial perspective by putting the newsies in like an upper left hand corner of that so that you can really highlight the starkly different worlds that we're both we're in at the same time or even if they're not there being able to see the outline of these like structures that the newsies are interacting with and how that's physically closed off from Pulitzer's office I feel like thematically gives a really, really nice perspective. But those are probably the biggest strengths that I have in the design. Moving into weaknesses is is probably where I have a lot of complaints with some of the design, particularly around the topic of projections, mm-hmm. which if you know anything about scenic design and theater, you know, is always a topic of hot debate and yes. contention. Yeah. So let's move into the weaknesses, shall we? We shall. A lot of reviews complimented this production for straying away from lavish Disney sets. Yeah, this this didn't feel lavish to me, but it felt just a bit still, like, cleaned up. There wasn't the same gritty feeling that the film offers. Again, this goes a bit into the the medium and things that just have to be done for the stage. Um, In a way, I might have preferred fully done up big sets of New York City. You can feel a bit overall, and this is nobody's fault, in the design of this production, that the budget and look of the whole thing were limited in order to market this to schools, being like, you don't really have to build New York City. You can do it this way with some levels. So I get it. But the steel frame scaffolding design reminded me so much of the 20, maybe around 2010, um, Marsha Milgram Dodge Ragtime Revival. It's the same idea, and I liked that design better. It's also, they take place in both in New York in the same time period. The ra- the decision to use that for a ragtime felt way more rooted in the story to me. 
And then I'm sure you're going to touch on this, but the projections pulled me out of the realism of the story and were just more distracting than anything else. Like, you know, in the film when Jack literally writes strike in chalk and then we're kind of seeing Jeremy Jordan motion like he's writing it and then it appears it was all just very disconcerting to me and it didn't add anything it just took me out of it I keep wanting to be like shooketh by this story and it happens to me like I said in the film when all of the kids rush into the streets I felt it I saw that a couple of years ago they did a sort of stripped down version of Newsies at arena stage it's different because it's in the round and I was really feeling that from what I saw Again, this is Disney theatricals putting it on Broadway, so it is going to be what it is. I think a slightly less Disney-fied design here could have really driven home the historical significance of this piece, the grittiness of it, all of that stuff, which maybe some theater will pick it up and do it that way, and it looks like Arena Stage did. I thought that, you know, while a critique of the film might have been its crowdedness, much of the design for the Broadway show felt very open and a bit cold. And I think part of that is because of the scaffold set. You can literally see through the set all the way to the sides and back of the actual stage, which they basically had to fill with projections because you could see through it. And, you know, it's certainly not helped this this feeling of coldness by all of the blue lighting. I know there's so much blue, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I was missing that warmth that we had in the movie that really helped us embrace the antiquity of it. And it this just felt very uh, LED, very cold, very more sterile, which I, you know, wouldn't really imagine from a group of young, fiery, streetwise, like revolutionaries, which is essentially what so this, agree. Yeah. this show is about. Mm-hmm. The reliance on projection, it's kind of a no-go for me. Many times the projections just sort of furthered to abstract the set, which is already pretty abstract. Mm-hmm. And what I was hoping for it to do was actually ground us a bit more. So it was functioning, you know, very opposite. So with a period piece like this, I I think we need more reality unless we're very consciously fighting the time period of it. And that's not the case with Newsies. And we could have benefited from things grounding us a bit more or interacting with things a bit more realistically. I think specifically the moment of the drawing that gets larger and larger and then disappears a lot of that is superfluous. It's distracting from the actual place and time. And that's exactly that moment of taking an abstract set and further abstracting it and making us feel like we're not in an actual place anymore. Unless during the entire show, the way into Jack's mind is constantly, he's constantly drawing things and we always see them. Yes. Then great. But that was the only yes, moment. And that would be a great use of projection to show the drawing and the process happening with him, especially against, you know, all of these like newsprint and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But they didn't do that. They didn't take advantage of that. Some of the other projections, like the headlines and such, I would have appreciated them doing something either even further abstracted than what they were doing, like something with, you know, in the way Peter and the star catcher works, like maybe build some things out of newspaper or see how many different ways you can use a newspaper in the show. Mm-hmm. The projections just sort of compromise the physicality of news at the time. <laughs> like right. this is a show about newspapers. Yeah, that's and so interesting. All the newspapers 
were digital, like they're projected onto a screen. And so it just felt very counterintuitive wow. to what the actual story is about. Oh, I never thought of that. Wow. Yeah. So without further ado, let's talk about the medium and the performances. Yeah. Um, we don't really get the full experience here of watching a production in the theater. I'm going to treat it a little bit more like looking at this if I could go see this in the theater. Yeah. There's nothing like being able to take in an entire stage of dancing newsies and let the scale of that just wash over you in a way that film could really never do. Close-ups in the film of newsies can often steal the thrill of the group dance moments. And even though, yes, we're talking about how this filmed production was shot, if I take a step back and look at it being on stage, you can have the same moment. I had this moment when I went to see the Anything Goes revival when all of these people tapping at the same time just washed over me. It made me ball just because it's super powerful. Yeah. So I'm sure, you know, especially in that moment when they're, oh my gosh, these newsies are dancing on top of the newspapers and ripping them with their feet. I'm sure being able to be in a theater and watch that happen is just absolutely incredible. And I think sometimes I was wishing for that moment to happen in the film and it never happened. And I'm sure when you're sitting in the theater, it's just absolutely amazing. I, I, I really just really loved the performances overall. I already shouted out Kara Lindsay. I think she could have made Catherine generic and she made her quirky and interesting and I really enjoyed it. But I just have to shout out Ben Fankhauser as Davey. So I good. like love his singing. I His voice is like butter. But there was just an honesty to his acting that just captured me. This felt like the perfect example of honoring the Davey that was established in the film while adding this layer that was so specific and realistic to me, like, I felt like I knew who this kind of guy was. And he added this, like, sense of responsibility and uprightness and, and maybe even a little bit of uptightness to the character that I loved. And it just really stood out to yeah. me. Yeah. He was the closest I saw someone get to capturing the essence of their character as they appeared in the film. Like his performance and David Moscow's performance felt very similar coming from, I mean, they're very different performances. Yeah. Isn't that what's so interesting? There's such different performances, but but the heart of it is born from the same place. Yeah. For me, in terms of the effectiveness of the medium, the performances, like the performances are incredible. Like Mm -hmm. these, these actors, I don't know how that they're, I don't know. how. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I burned like, 2500 calories just watching this. I was tired watching them. I really was. (laughs) Because it's not only the athletic dancing, which is just, again, I don't even understand how you do that eight times a week, but then you have to give the emotional and vocal oomph behind these really powerful songs. It's got to be exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, claps. But I, you know, my biggest thing was, you know, watching the movie. I sat there the entire time and was like, oh, this makes sense that this would be on stage. Mm-hmm. Oh, this was made to be on stage. Oh, this was 100% supposed to be on stage. And I am just very glad that it was able to get the chance to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, shall we move on to weaknesses? Yeah. Um, the major downside of, of doing this live on stage is just the scale and cast size. I think some of the epic stakes of the story are a bit lost without crowd scenes. I know the scale of the movie is impossible on stage, of course. But this, like I said before, this film production even added more ensemble tracks so that more of the tour cast could appear in the taped production so that the swings could actually be swung on and perform. So the ensemble is even smaller 
than we see it in this version. And to me, I know it's wild because so many Broadway shows have even smaller casts than this, but it, it felt small to me. Mm-hmm. And I know, of course, the focus of the story is the Newsies. But the fact that there are so few women in an environment that's supposed to be, like, historically based NYC, it just really stood out to me. Yeah. And sure, Annie is about a bunch of female orphans, but we've got plenty of males. It just feels yep. so, like, when they're when they're forced in as the nuns and forced in as the two dancing burlesque girls, it just it's just off-putting to me. Yeah. And then also for me, I think this is very tied again to the scale. The stakes felt lowered to me in comparison to the film. I've touched on it before. I think it has to do with cast age, because they're not young kids going through this, and some of the writing, which I spoke about before as well, like Jack being able to waltz into Pulitzer's office whenever he wants to and kind of, you know, giving him a run for his money just lowers the stakes a bit. And then needing this to be more marketable to families and mainstream tourist audiences just made the whole thing we talked about a little, a little cold and just a little bit too squeaky clean to me. This is, again, tied to the design, tied to the writing. I was missing the antique grittiness that, sure, maybe it's literally just like putting a sepia tone on a film can do so much, but... Yeah, it just felt a little bit cleaned up to me. But then so many people would hear me say that and be like, well, yeah, it's Disney on Broadway. What do you think? So take it or leave it. That's fair enough. I miss the diversity that we can have in the film of actually getting an ensemble of teens to do the show. I think, you know, there's something that is lost of sorts in not seeing how young these people actually are who are fighting to change these laws, especially because child labor laws are at stake here. But, you know, related to that, so much of the gag in the show of Les, the young child, is that he is a small child who has this big adult-like personality. But to me, this all feels a bit artificial because I think back to the film and the actual ages of the children that the musical is attempting to depict. And this child is closer to the correct age than anybody else who's on that stage. And yet he feels so out of place in comparison to the rest of the cast. So they try to make it justified by having this like trope of this kid who feels older beyond his years and like tough and blah, 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 and acting out of his size. And I just don't think it works as well as they might hope solely because if you've seen the film, then this gag doesn't work because the reality is all of the characters were this kid mm. and Les is probably a bit younger. Mm. So that that was just something that like really, uh, I know the, the reality of the situation that we're in. Mm-hmm. I respect it. But this is also a circumstance where I think there is still something lost. I feel like we could have gone the Matilda route of having a good number of young kids mixed in with older, quote unquote, kids. Mm -hmm. I would have appreciated seeing just a bit more diversity all around in every aspect. Gender diversity, ethnicity diversity, uh, and age diversity especially. Mm -hmm. And... That's us talking about Newsies for y'all. <laughs> so I guess now we have to choose uh, who's like, our winner in, here. I'm like not more convinced than I was before. Like talking to you about it has just made me just be like, yeah, well, there's pros and cons to both. <laughs> no. I mean. There really are. I, I feel like this happens to me with every showdown in that I say, you know, whoever did it first, I got to give them a lot of credit. Like I said that with like, you know, villain origin stories. And I, like I said, I think a big factor of this 
of the Newsies film for me is number one, what a concept, and they made it happen. And then the scale and the realism of it really give it an edge for me. But then then I think about not having a character like Catherine and having Meta Larkin be the way that she is, and that really gets me. <laughs> so which do I choose? I really, this is like really tough. I, oh God. Uh, see, it's tricky for me is I think the story of the Broadway show is a lot better. And that's usually where I gravitate towards when I do these showdowns is I go towards, mm-hmm. I go towards who has the stronger story. And we do have more, a little bit more of musical variety. We have more songs. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like there is a tremendous amount of heart in the film mm-hmm. that uh, I'm not saying that there isn't any heart in the Broadway musical, but it feels not as much a bit less. It feels yeah, a bit less. Not as much. And as much as I'm a story person, I'm even bigger on heart. Yeah. So I, I know. think that's pushing me towards the direction of. I think the film, for all of its flaws, at the end of the day, is still going to do it for me the most. Yeah. Which is shocking for me to say. I kind of get it because Newsies, the Broadway musical, to me feels like a great musical. A really enjoyable musical. It's a fantastic musical. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily feel like the musical that's about the 1899 Newsboy strike. Because it feels removed from that because of the heart, like you were saying. Because logistically, we have to cast adults to do an eight-show week on mm-hmm. Broadway. It's just, it's just, there are a lot of challenges. And I think it, like, yeah, it, in a way, it comes down to the medium that it's forced into, which is difficult. I mean, we can we can be divided on this. I will take the side of the film if you want to take the side of the Broadway musical. But do I feel that, actually? It feels wrong. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I really don't know. I really don't know. Ah, uh, Okay. <laughs> For the women, <laughs> all right? <laughs> For the women, Caroline is is submitting that her, her entry is... The Broadway musical. Great. I feel so uncomfortable. Well, it's okay, because I'm going to say that my winner is the film. Essentially, what this means is you really can't go wrong with either one. You're going yeah. to get a good story. You're going to get some good music, and... Uh, it's newsies. It's dancing. It's dancing <laughs> it's newspaper newsies. children. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> you're gonna. It's gonna be a good time. Oh man! But well, there you have it. We are well, split with our decision. I feel like I just performed newsies. I'm so tired. I'm newsies. The 1992 <laughs> film and Caroline is the Broadway musical newsies. Those are our yeah. winners. Yeah, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Is the answer. Yeah, can't go wrong. Yeah. Thank you very much for bearing with us. If you liked what you heard, give us a rating and a review. Make sure you hit that follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast. That way, all of our episodes get downloaded right to your device. You don't even have to think about it, including any bonus content coming up because tis the season Mm -hmm. for bonus content. And we won't tell you when it happens. It'll just magically happen. And you don't want to miss it. And if you want some hints about when those things might be happening, we usually drop some on social media. So please follow us. We are at Poor Unfortunate Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And we are at Unfortunate Pod on Twitter. We definitely want to talk about how you feel about Newsies. So just drop us a comment, send us a DM. And if you want to have an even more in-depth conversation with some other listeners, please join us in our private Facebook group, The Poor Unfortunate Fam. We will definitely be talking about it there. And you can always email us. Email us anytime, poorunfortunatepodcast at gmail.com. And then as I always say, 
It does take us some money to keep the podcast up and running and coming to you. And we do accept donations via our PayPal account. You can access our PayPal link in the episode description or on any of our website links on social media. You can make a donation of $5, $10, more than that. Uh, You can make it monthly. You can make it a one-time donation. All of it just goes right back into the podcast and just helps us, you know, cover the basic costs and keep the podcast coming to you and and making sure that it's it's stuff that you want to hear. So thank you very much for everyone who has donated in the past. We really appreciate you. Thank Those you. who continue to donate. And thank you right now for considering a donation. Well, until next time, Beluga, Beluga Sabruga. Sabruga.